Great. Yeah, good morning. Love the who's here. Just hearing different people's stories. I was very inspired uh, by Nina there talking about all the references to garden in the Bible. That's, that's the sort of thing that piques my interest. I do notice that Jesus was mistaken for being the gardener at the resurrection. So um, a little bit like Phil, that's never happened to me, being mistaken for being a gardener. So um, not quite perfected the looking like Jesus thing just yet. But we're working on it, aren't we? So... Um, the, the series we're in is looking at our 365, our, our mission and our values and our uh, vision statements. And we're, we're working through our values at the moment. We've just um, been looking at um, connected and in the different ways in which we're connected, one of which is how we reconnect with each other, and which also leads into our second, uh, which is about relationship, that we are uh, relational as a church, because the way of Jesus cannot be lived in isolation. And there is something beautiful um, about the church, um, that we reflect Jesus, we look like Jesus. Jesus um, is, um, is God, he's part of the Trinity. Um, and so God in relationship as the Trinity um, is a God that is in, is a relational God, and a God that is in relationship with us, a God that is in relationship with creation, a, a God that is in relationship with himself. And... Um, and there's something there for us to model. And this morning I want to look at that, um, but I want to look at the um, idea of unity um, because God commands unity, that we are called to be united, and that is how we, re- we reveal to the world what um, God looks like. Um, but unity in diversity. Um, because being united with people, if we're all the same, well, that's, that's not too difficult, right? If we all believe or think the same things, if we all behave the same ways and have the same habits, and, then that's not too difficult. But actually, we're not created that way. We're created to be this incredibly diverse people. Many nations, many languages, many, um, many cultures, many characteristics, many differences, many different interests, many different personality types. Many, um, so, and we're created in that diversity to be united. Um, there's this story um, that we see right near the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus is out, and he's already called um, some disciples, some fishermen, um, to follow him. And then in Mark chapter 2, uh, we see this little passage, and it's just this little line really it says once again Jesus went out beside the lake so he's back to the same lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them and as he walked along he saw Levi son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me Jesus told him Levi got up and followed him very brief story Mark is quite succinct in how he tells the story Um, and that's one of his characteristics but um Mark doesn't waste words, so everything here is important. And one, one of the things that seems very important here to me is, firstly, Jesus is by the same lake that he called the first disciples, um, these fishermen who were out fishing. And Jesus says, well, throw your net on the other side, and then they bring in this huge haul of fish. He says, now come with me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he's called these disciples to come and follow him. And they've dropped everything. They've dropped their nets and they've gone to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is by the same lake. But this time, 
you know, you can imagine his disciples around him, and this time he's walking, and then there's this crowd gathers, and he's teaching them. And as he walks along, he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus says. And you kind of go, very good, Jesus is getting another disciple. But it's not that simple. You see, Matthew was the tax collector at the same lake that these fishermen were fishing, doing their family business. And tax collectors were really not very popular because they were people who had betrayed the Jewish people. They were Jews who were tax collecting for the Romans. They were working for the Romans to take money from the Jewish people and to give it into the Roman system, the Roman Empire. They were seen as traitors. Romans were born Romans. That's bad enough. But tax collectors had a choice and they chose to serve Rome ahead of their own people. It was the ultimate betrayal. These were the enemies. And Matthew was the tax collector who was collecting, had spent his time collecting taxes from these same fishermen that had just dropped everything to follow Jesus. It's fair to say they were enemies. I don't know if you can imagine what that was like for James and John and Peter and Andrew to... So suddenly kind of be walking on the beach and going, we're following Jesus, here we are. And then Jesus sees Matthew and they're going, oh, that guy, man. And then Jesus says, Matthew, come and follow me. And they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, let's have some standards here about who we're calling. Like, let's have some, let's not just call anyone and everyone. Like, let's think about this. Like, I'd, like this guy, you need to know about this guy. This guy's not a good guy. Like, this guy's a bit of a traitor. This guy's a bit of a snake. This guy steals money from us. This guy rips us off all the time. Like, come on, Jesus, let's, let's not just call anyone here. Like, if you're going to be the Messiah, like, have some standards. But Jesus just calls Matthew, and Matthew follows him. And then what we're left with is a situation that we can only imagine what it was like, some of the tension that was going on in that little group of disciples where they had to like learn to share bread with each other, live together, follow Jesus together, learn together, share life together. Sometimes the people that God calls us to be united with aren't the people we would choose to be united with. Um, to demonstrate the point, and I wonder whether this will translate um, culturally, but um, this is a quote um, from Dan White Jr. Um, in a book called Love Over Fear. Um, and he says this, In the selection of his disciples, Jesus gathered three zealots who were militant nationalists, a tax collector who favoured the Sadducee party, six fishermen who lived hand-to-mouth and were exploited by Roman taxation, one member of the Sicari party, and a wealthy nobleman who was linked to the Pharisees. This is scandalous. So then what Dan tries to do is to... Um, draw simile he said it's like organizing a home church with a few black lives matter protesters blue collar workers who believe donald trump will fix the country a couple on benefits while working minimum wage at mcdonald's a wealthy republican who owns an oil refinery and a member of antifa it's an understatement to say that these men would have loathed being in the same room with each other if it were not for Jesus holding this space, they'd all naturally slide into the cultural ditch of mutual hatred for one another. He called them into the same inner circle, a space that would demand something from everyone. 
You see, when we're called to unity, when we're called to share space, to love, to share life, to walk together with people that we might not be our first choice of people to share life with, we all have to give something. We all have to love a little bit harder. But you see, this society that they were living in was also a society where you only mixed with your own kind. In this Roman Empire, if you were if you were a particular class, then you only mixed with people of your particular class. You only sat around a table who were people of equal stature to you. The rich sat with the rich. The nobleman sat with the nobleman. The poor sat with the poor. Like you didn't mix classes. You didn't mix people. Like where you were in society was defined by where you sat at which table. It was a hugely hierarchical system and then Jesus starts just calling these range of people to be together it was profoundly radical and we see this carrying on in the early church these people sharing bread together sitting around the table together sharing life together not sitting with people who were the same as them not sitting with people who were the same social class as them just sitting at tables with people from across the spectrum but united by Christ. It led Paul to say things such as in Colossians 3, 11, he says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What united them was Christ. And the the Christ that united them was bigger than anything that divided them. And this idea that in this society, these people, slaves, would be meeting with wealthy people and sharing communion together was radical, was dangerous. It was a sort of thing that could get you in a lot of trouble because you were breaking the class system which the entire Roman Empire was built on. And we see stories in Acts where, and we, and we see these apostles saying, you know, we, we can't just serve tables anymore because actually we need to be doing the teaching and we need to do this sort of thing. And actually what they're saying is they set up this system where the leaders were the people doing the serving and the people sat at the table who they were serving were the servants and the slaves. And they did this entire upside down system. Anybody was welcome around the table. We were united in Christ. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. No barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and is in all. On Leccio 365 the other morning, um, Pete Gregg said this, our unity is not to be based on believing precisely the same things. That would make us a sect. Nor on behaving in precisely the same ways. That would make us a cult, but rather on belonging to the same Father through the unconditional acceptance of his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what makes us family. And see, wouldn't it be easy if we were all the same or we all 
had the same, you know, behaved the same way or believed exactly all the same things about every different aspect of our faith. But that doesn't, that doesn't happen. And that didn't happen. Not only does that not happen now, that didn't happen in the early church. They had all sorts of things which they were trying to understand. I mean, here was a church that had come out of the Jewish faith. And the only people who could be in the Jewish faith were people who were born Jewish. And this faith, I mean, right early on in Acts, you see, this, you see this, these dramatic scenes because God is telling them, no, 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 like actually this, is, this gospel isn't just for the Jewish faith. This gospel is for the Gentiles as well. It's not just for you, it's for them as well. And, and some of the disciples were going, that can't be true, this can't be how it is. And some of them were going, but this is clearly how it is. And, and they had big conversations and they tried to wrestle out, how would you do this? And how do we live this? Because the Jews have certain cultural behaviors, they have certain... Um, they have certain practices within the Jewish faith about what you can eat and what you can't eat and what days you rest and what days you don't rest. But then, and, but then there's Gentiles being brought into the faith who don't behave that way. And so they go, well, now, how can we eat with them if we have different rules about what we can and can't eat? And how, how do we make this space for each other? And Paul talks about this in Romans 14 because there's lots of division going on. And Paul, in Romans 14, addresses this. And I've used the message version just because I feel it, it, um, it expands it well. And it says, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he could only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. It's quite a dramatic challenge from Paul. Quite dramatic words in Paul. He's saying, yeah, we understand that. Actually, this is difficult. How do you mesh these different cultures and these different faith backgrounds and these, these different personalities and these different customs and traditions? How do we mix all this? And actually, Paul's going, look, don't get hung up on it. Because, you see, we are united in Christ. We are united in Christ. First and foremost, and the Christ who unites us is bigger than anything which divides us. I want us to look at um, Philippians chapter 2, but actually to do this, I've asked a few people to read it. Um, so we're going to watch and listen to it um, rather than just me read it on screen. So Dan, are we able to have that video up? Mm. 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, remplissez-moi de joie en vous mettant d'accord, ayez un même amour, un même cœur, une même pensée. Nicht Eigennutz oder Eitelkeit soll euer Handeln bestimmen. Vielmehr achtet den Demut den anderen höher als euch selbst. No mirando cada uno por lo suyo propio, sino cada cual también por lo de nosotros. Seja atitude de vocês a mesma de Cristo Jesus. Who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Ci s-a dezbrăcat pe sine însuși și a luat un chip de rob, făcându-se asemenea oamenilor. Ci eu ren de yangzi, ci eu zi ji bai wei, cun xin shun fu, yi zi yu si, ci e si zai shi zi jie sha. Am hani, thra te chavod diu ev, arui idhor enu si thgoruch pob enu. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We're a diverse church. We're a church of many languages, many cultures, many backgrounds, many traditions. Many different ways of reading different parts of scripture, many different relationships with God and how we hear God differently, the things that we value differently, maybe the priorities that we have, the things that stir us and move us, people called to live out different, um, different callings, different giftings, different generations. We're a diverse church. I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago and they were asking me a question and kind of going, oh man, I'm really stirred at the moment. I've been watching this stuff about um, how we do our fishing and how we do all this sort of stuff and I just, I'm really stirred by it. I feel like I need to change my diet a little bit because our whole fishing industry and farming industry, I'm not entirely happy with it. I need to do something about that, but I'm stirred by that, but I'm also stirred by slavery and how, what do I do about slavery? And if I'm going to make these changes around my like and get involved in how we look after the oceans well then i don't have i got time to look deal with slavery and and then what about all the other stuff that's going on there's so much that's broken in the world and i can't do it all like what are the things i'm supposed to focus on i was like wow that's a great question isn't it great that we're part of a church so no one of us has to do everything And God will call some of us to campaign about slavery and people trafficking. And God will call some of us to, um, to mobilize and to make changes about how our environment works and how our businesses work and how our industry works and how our, our culture works. And God will call some of us to be missionaries and to go and spread the gospel. And God will call some of us to... Like we, and yes, we should all 
be aware of those things or care about those things. Or, and they're all small changes that we can make, but none of us can do everything. But we are blessed to be part of a church where together, together we can do so much more. Together we can look so much more like Jesus. And sometimes that pressure to, oh my goodness, there's something else I need to deal with. Oh my goodness, what's going on in India? And oh my goodness, what's going on with our food industry? And what's going on with our economy? And what's going on with our our homeless community? And what's going on with our families? And what's going on with all these different aspects? And actually, no one of us can do all of it. But together, we can do so much. And we do do so much. You see, we're united in Christ. And one of the things that I love about that passage that we've just heard is this idea that um, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There is, this, there is this refrain that happens in this verse, which actually happens throughout the Bible. That ultimately where this is heading... Ultimately, where we're headed towards is that a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, all cultures, all nations, all tribes, all customs, all, all, all people from all backgrounds, all generations, all ethnicities, will create this beautiful diversity of unity as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is where this is all heading. And when we are able to live and celebrate diversity, when we are able to live together and make room for each other, when we are able to be together and, and within our differences, but united by Christ who is bigger than anything that divides us, then we start to become a prophecy a visualization, an example of where all this is headed. You see, that that phrase just comes up and up through Scripture, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Paul talks about it in Romans 14. It is written, as sure as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. And he's quoting Isaiah. And then in just a chapter on, he says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, you non-Jews, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. This isn't just for the Jewish community. This is for everybody. And that's an idea, again, that comes from the Old Testament, Isaiah 49. So centuries before, there is this prophecy that Isaiah says, the Lord says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. No, no, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's too small that this is just for the Jewish nation. Actually, God, through Jesus, through the Messiah, wanted to save all nations. Psalm 86, the psalmist says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. All nations. Everybody. This is a long time before Jesus has set foot on the earth. A long time. This is when Israel still is convinced that God is a God for Israel. And even then he's saying, no, no, because you are the God of all nations and all nations will come. In Daniel, we have this this prophecy, this picture, this vision which Daniel has about the Son of Man, Jesus, the one who is going to come. And he says, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. 
All peoples, nations, men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Even then, Daniel is saying, when the Messiah comes, when all of this comes to fruition, we will be at a time when this is every nation, all people, every language. And it carries on in Revelation At the end of the Bible, John's vision of where all this is headed, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, all people, every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Later on in Revelation, it says, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Throughout scripture, right from the very beginning where God says, let us make man in our image, this relational God, this triune, three-in-one God says, let us make God. And in the same way that we are in community, that we are in relationship, that man, let's create man, that he flourishes in community. Let's make man that... God is revealed in our relationships, in our community, which is why we say the way of Jesus cannot be lived in isolation. This is something we live out together, but we don't live it out as people who are all the same or all behave the same way or all think the same things, all have the same personalities or the same characteristics or the same passions or interests. No, no, we, are, we reveal God in our diversity. Now, right from when Jesus called his first disciples, he called people who would not naturally share space with each other. He called people who would not naturally spend time together. But this group of people, when Jesus went back to heaven, they didn't go, oh, well, thank goodness I don't have to hang out with those guys anymore. Thank goodness that's over. No, these were people who formed lifelong friendships and founded the church, which spread across the world. These were people who wrestled this stuff out, stuck together, argued it out, discussed it out, even when they're trying to wrestle like, well, is, is this gospel for the Gentiles or is it just for the Jews? They, they got together and they talked about it and they prayed about it. And the best they could come up with is it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit that this gospel is for Gentiles too. He didn't agree on everything. There's all sorts of stories and acts of them disagreeing about all sorts of things, having all sorts of issues and conversations and debates. But God was with them. God united them. The Jesus that they were united in was bigger than any of the differences that divided them. And we, as the church, in a society 
that is polarized, in a society that is polemic, in a society that is so divided where we can surround ourselves with people who just think the same as us, we can fill our social media feeds with people who have the same opinions as us, and we can block anyone whose opinion we don't like or whose ideas we don't like. In a world where, we, where people gather in their, in their social classes or in the people who are like them, in their little tribes, in a world that is so divided... There is something so beautiful and so powerful when we, as the church, model unity in diversity. Not because we agree on everything, not because we're the same, not because we are at the same point in our journeys or the same points on our walk or whatever it might be, but because we are united in Christ. There are some encouragements. There are some encouragements in the in the New Testament. For the church, some um, from the various writers, and they are these. One of them says, Love one another. These should be our priorities that we love one another, that we spur one another on, that we encourage one another, that we prefer one another. If somebody maybe is uncomfortable for us, How do we prefer them? How do we make enough space for them? How do we forgive one another? How do we submit to one another? These are the habits and the characteristics of the church. This is who Jesus calls us to be. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's without challenge. Doesn't mean it's without struggle. Doesn't mean it's without fallout. But this is who Jesus calls us to be. I have taken the liberty of adding a few of my own encouragements to us at YCC. In the same spirit, let us make space for one another. Let us be people who don't insist on things that look the way that we're comfortable with. But we allow people, maybe from other cultures, other backgrounds, other nations, other whatever it might be, to have their space. You know, sometimes, well, yeah, not sometimes, a lot of the time I think we make, we have the problem that we, we are very inclusive of different nations and different ethnicities and different, we kind of, oh yeah, it's great you're all here, but we still kind of want you to function within a white middle class um, structure. How do we make space for other cultures and each other's way of expressing God, worshipping God, loving God? How do we make space for each other? How do we celebrate difference in one another rather than trying to organize each other or conform to one another? How do we celebrate difference in one another? How do we recognize beauty in one another? How do we learn from one another? How do we see Jesus in one another through one another each one of us is a revelation of what God is like but together we are a beautiful revelation of who God is and what God is like let us be a church that is united in our diversity that celebrates each other and that is united by Christ And that holds to the idea that Christ is bigger than anything that divides us. Amen.
Amen.